Um, well, happy Easter. Welcome to Saving Grace Church. Uh, today's uh, message is entitled, The Resurrection, Why Does It Matter? The Resurrection, Why Does It Matter? Well, my 15-year-old son, Isaac, um, goes to Marion Center High School, and this week he came home from school one day, and he said uh, one of the topics of discussion in the, the lunchroom in the cafeteria was about which words were Jesus' last words on the cross. And I thought, out of all the things teenagers could be talking about in a high school lunchroom, as a dad, you're pretty excited about that. That's a good discussion to have. And he was telling my wife Mary and I this discussion that took place. And independently of one another, we both said to him, well, that's a great discussion, but the most important thing is that people understand what those words mean, what, what those words that Jesus said actually mean when he was dying on the cross. And this morning's subject, I think, is kind of a, the same idea, that we're going to talk about the resurrection. Obviously, it's Easter Sunday, and we celebrate Jesus rising from the grave. But I've talked to many people over the years that might have given little thought to the significance of why Jesus rose from the grave. What, why does it matter? What's at stake? Maybe you're thinking, I, I think I believe that, but I'm not sure why it's that important. And so this morning, we're going to consider the question, why does it matter that Jesus rose from the grave? And the first point, I want to establish that He actually rose from the grave. We're going to do that briefly, and then we're going to look at the why did Jesus rise from the dead? And what does that have to do with you and I this morning? Because you're going to see that has a lot to do with you and I. So if you have a Bible, open to Matthew 28. If you don't have a Bible, um, it should be projected behind me. Jesus really rose from the dead. We believe that the Bible teaches very clearly that Jesus really, truly actually rose from the dead. And you see that throughout the New Testament. Here's one example from Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the, see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. So the scene is Jesus died on the cross. He had been in the grave. Mary and others came to see the tomb. And the stone was rolled away by an angel. Verse 3. His appearance, the angel's appearance, was like lightning. His clothes as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He has risen. As He said, come see the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that He has risen from the dead. And behold, He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell His disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. 
And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that the reality of the resurrection will give us hope and faith and joy today for our lives and the circumstances that surround us. And Lord, we pray that we would see more of the significance of the resurrection than than we could ever see before. And we ask that you would do this. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus really rose from the dead. From this passage, we, we learn some very obvious things. The first is that Jesus was actually dead. He was physically dead. When he was crucified, he died on the cross. He was put in the grave. He wasn't in a coma. He actually physically died and was buried, and the tomb was sealed. It's a real death. And that real death, as we'll see in a moment, is super important for us. In this scene, an angel from heaven appeared announcing that Jesus was no longer dead. The angel was almost surprised that Mary was surprised. Because he said, just like Jesus said he would rise from the grave, that's exactly what he did. But if you or I were to encounter an angel, we would be surprised as well. So we can sympathize. Then something that's really important for us, and maybe if you're, you're wondering, is this really true? This may help you. Jesus appeared to many people after he rose from the grave. That very day, he appeared to his own disciples. And their immediate response was one of worship. But we learn throughout the Bible that it wasn't just the twelve disciples that he appeared to. And he actually appeared to them on many occasions. But in one of the Apostle Paul's letters in 1 Corinthians 15, he points out the following. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas, who is the Apostle Peter, then to the twelve. Now listen to this. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now these words were written some 20 to 25 years after Jesus had rose from the grave, had ascended into heaven. And what the apostle Paul is saying, there's at least 500 eyewitnesses as I write this letter that Jesus actually rose from the grave. And in fact, if you want to go door to door and start knocking, many of them, most of them, are still alive to this day. And on top of that, the Apostle Paul says, I met the risen Christ myself personally. And we know that story where his life was radically changed and he became a devoted follower of Jesus, risking life and limb for the message of Jesus Christ. So there is really persuasive and good evidence 
that Jesus rose from the grave. You know, think about it. If this was our day and age, and we were living in Jerusalem, and 500 people were eyewitnesses to something, chances are we would know someone who knew someone who was there, who interacted with the risen Christ. And so we would not be so skeptical. And so maybe you're, you're trying to figure out, is this true? Well, it was indisputable that Jesus rose from the grave. And I'm going to assume a lot of us believe that. Maybe some of you aren't yet persuaded, but I want you to consider it because it has great implications for all of our lives. And so for the remainder of this, I, I want us to think about why does it matter? What, what's the big deal that Jesus Christ actually died and rose again? See, the resurrection is to be central in our Christian lives. Let me read a quote from a man named A.W. Tozer. He said, To the early Christians, Easter was not a holiday. Now, he's not judging us. We can have our baskets and do our things. But it wasn't a holiday. It wasn't even a holy day. It, it wasn't even a day at all to the early Christians. Instead, it was an accomplished fact that lived with them all year long. And that's my hope for this morning, that at the end of this message, we would see the resurrection as an accomplished fact that would live with us all year long. They did not celebrate His rising from the dead and then go back to their everyday lives and wait another year. They lived by the fact that Christ had risen from the dead and they had risen with him. So why does it matter? Let me give you a few reasons. These are not exhaustive, so you may have a different list than me. Reason number one. The resurrection of Jesus Christ offers hope to everyone that trusts in him. The resurrection of Jesus offers hope to everyone that trusts in him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a strong, bold claim. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This statement has both a positive side to it and a negative side. The negative side is there's only one way to have a relationship with the living God. And it's through Jesus Christ. The positive side is anyone who comes to Jesus Christ on His terms is welcomed in. I don't know how many of you, I would assume in this room, quite a few of you have been to Steelers games over the years. I've been to several with my kids at times. And you know, picture the parking lot scene. Anywhere you get close to Heinz Field on game day, there are people in, in their gear. There are um, everybody representing their favorite fan or their favorite player. And so depending on your age, depending on what era of Steelers um, history you enjoy the most, your, your jersey probably represents it. And my son, 
is 15, so he grew up in this era. And so his jerseys would represent that. But you look at these parking lots, and everybody's cooking out and doing other things and wearing their Steelers gear, and they all look like Steelers fans going to a football game, right? As we're driving by, we think they're all probably going to the game. But having been to Heinz Field, there's only one way, no matter what gate you go through, to get into the Steelers game. And what is that way? What do you have to have? You have to have a ticket. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter if you have the entire steel curtain of jerseys. They just keep whipping them off. If you do not have a ticket, you do not get in. And that security is pretty imposing. They're not going to let you in. There is one way. But if you have a ticket, doesn't matter what jersey you have on. Doesn't matter if you have a jersey on at all. If you have a ticket, you are welcomed in. Well, through Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection from the grave, He purchased a way in for us to have a relationship with the living God. But there's only one way in. And that way in is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. See, the resurrection gives us hope that there is a way in that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was acceptable and pleasing to God. Because you could come to me and you could say, Joe, my, my life's really messed up. I've done a lot of bad things. And I could say to you, well, how about I die for your sins? I'll take the punishment that you deserve. If you're facing legal time in the state penitentiary, I'll take that as well. But the problem is, there's a couple problems with that. One, I've sinned many times in my life. So I'm not an innocent substitute for you. The other thing is, when I die, let's say there's no Jesus or Bible, I can't come back. It's it. So you, you might be thinking, well, I put my faith in that guy and he said he would take care of it. And he, he didn't do anything about it. Well, there have been many religious leaders over the centuries that have claimed all kinds of incredible things. But when they've died, they never came back. They couldn't back up their statements with a resurrected life. Jesus is very different. Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. There is one God, there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, now listen to this part, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. When I hear the word ransom, I probably think of what many of you think of. I think of spy movies, I think of kidnapping, and I think of a large quantity of money. Because a ransom in, that, in a movie is, is an exchange that needs to happen. Somebody has been kidnapped, and somebody's demanding a payment. And so when that exchange is fulfilled, the, the person in captivity is set free, and the money is accepted. Well, in the same way, God knew the dilemma of humankind. And the dilemma is this, that God is holy. Because of the sin of man, we are not holy. And because of that, there is a great separation. And we are in great debt 
before the living God, a debt that we could never pay. And so a ransom needed to be paid. A ransom of an innocent one. One who was fully God and fully man. One who was willing to die as our substitute in our place. And that's what Jesus did for us. That's what we celebrated on Good Friday. But now on Easter morning, we can have great confidence that the ransom was accepted. That the payment was received. That God the Father accepted Jesus dying in our place. And so if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, then we can be forgiven and free because Jesus paid our ransom. 1 Corinthians 15-17 says it this way, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. You might be thinking, well, that's, what does that mean? Well, it means the opposite is true as well. If Christ has been raised, your faith is not futile, it's full of meaning, and you are no longer in your sins. Meaning the God the Father accepts you, welcomes you, adopts you into your family. And you are no longer a guilty rebel. But you are loved and accepted, son or daughter. No matter what you have done, if you run to Christ for the forgiveness of sins. See, the resurrection offers us hope for our greatest problem. To be made right with the Lord. The resurrection also gives us hope for life after death. Jesus had an interaction with one of his good friends, Martha. And they're talking and Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked the probing question, do you believe this? See, for a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus, we do not have to fear dying. We don't have to be afraid of death any longer. We do not have judgment, the wrath of God awaiting us. We have God the Father welcoming us in. And that's all made possible because Jesus rose from the dead. And that probing question that Jesus asked should be one we consider. Do you believe this? So, keep in mind what he's not asking. He's not asking, do your mom and dad believe this? Does your sister believe this? Does your brother believe this? Does your grandma believe this? Does your grandson believe this? But the question is, do you believe this? Have you run to Jesus and put your trust in Him? And I heard a, a helpful illustration to describe this. At, at times we can get kind of confused if we believe Jesus, if we've come to Jesus, if we've trusted in Jesus, if we are following Jesus. And a friend of mine who's a pastor in another church in town uses this illustration all the time. He said, I want you to imagine that today, instead of e eating Easter dinner at the place you think you're going to be eating it, 
we're going to take a flight and go to the favorite place in all the world that you would want to go to. So some tropical island, some ski resort somewhere in the Alps. You pick it, we all go. Here's the catch, though. I know some of you probably don't like flying on airplanes. And where we're going to go, we have to get on an airplane. Now, there are some of you that fly a lot and enjoy flying. And for you, you'll be like, okay, and especially those of you who are cooking the meals and stuff, okay, this is great. I don't have to do it. I get to go to my favorite place, and all I have to do is get on that airplane, and it's paid for. And so you're excited, and let's say you, you're not afraid of flying. You just, you're leaving your kids behind. You're just jumping on that plane, and they don't have to clean up. I don't make it. It's, it's over. Um, but there's going to be some of you who like the destination, but you're a little shaky about flying. You have, you have all kinds of concerns. You've, you've seen reports of planes coming down. You're just a bit fearful of it. But you're not so fearful that you won't get on the plane. And so you get on the plane. Let's say I'm sitting beside you. You don't want to sit beside me on airplane. I get motion sick really quickly. <laughs> but, but let's say I took my medicine. Um, and you are afraid and you are white knuckling on that airplane. And then there's some in the room that are just eating their little peanuts, and they're watching movies. They're having a great time. All I'm trying to do is not throw up. But we're all on the airplane, and we get off at our destination, and we're there. Well, I think that picture, that illustration is, can be a helpful picture when we're trying to figure out, have we trusted in Jesus Christ? Some of you have confidently trusted. You've put your hope. You are confident. Some of you believe but at times you have doubts, at times you have fears, at times you have worries, but you've really trusted. So no matter if your faith is like at a 10 or if it's a 1, but you've trusted, if you have put your faith, your confidence, your belief in Jesus Christ to pay for all your sins and rise from the grave, then you are saved. You are forgiven. You are welcomed. And you are welcomed just as much as your friend who's at a 10 in their confidence level. Because Jesus calls us to trust in Him, not to trust in our level of faith. So we need to look outside of ourselves, and we need to run to Him and trust in Him. And if you do, you can be so confident of what will one day await you. You do not have to fear death. You do not have to fear the grave. And maybe some of you have been around Christians before they have died. Many Christians are, some are fearful and afraid, but I've been around some who have been very confident of what was about to await them because they had so believed in Jesus Christ. They had so believed what God's Word said. And they, they, they banked their lives on the resurrection of Christ, and that we one day would rise as well. So we have a lot to look forward to if you're a Christian. The Apostle Paul said it this way, For me to live is Christ. He said, God gives me years here on earth. I can live, I can enjoy, I can be satisfied in Christ, but to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. For me, he had good work to do. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far 
better. Life is hard, and it's not equally hard for every one of us in this room this morning. Some of you, your life is very challenging and difficult. And when you look back, you remember difficulties. And when you look forward, you see difficulties. Jesus wants you to know that he is with you now and will be with you to the day you go to meet with him. But one day, all will be made right. All will be made well. The the tears, the heartache, the pain, the struggle, it will all one day be over. And we know that. We get a glimpse in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, of what is awaiting all who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first time, and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You could take that word there out. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's what awaits believers in Jesus Christ. And you could be thinking, well, I believe that. That is nice. But what about today? What about tomorrow? What about next week? That's the final thing I want us to think about. One of the reasons the resurrection is so significant for us is because the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes new life possible. It means that we can actually thrive spiritually amidst struggle and difficulty. It means we can actually change and be different. It means we don't have to keep doing the same things that we've done in the past. Yesterday I was looking up how much money we as a country especially adults, spend on self-improvement. So Americans, as best as I could tell, spend billions of dollars on self-improvement each year. Now, when, when I, I read these studies, that includes things like gym memberships and um, running shoes and self-help books and counseling. It could be anything and everything to make us better. And some of you might be nervous. Is he making a judgment on everything that makes us better? No, I am not. There are some things that are very good and some things that could be very bad. I have a Y membership. I read books about how to improve. For example, I was looking this morning right beside the chair that I read in. My reading chair makes me feel really old. I'm not that old. It's a chair. I sit and I read books. You all have them, hopefully. Um, I have two books by, by that chair. Uh, one's called Reset 
living a grace-paced life in a burnout culture. That is to pastors so that they will not burn out. So that would fall in the self-improvement spectrum. The other I have is parenting. The 14 gospel principles that can radically change your family. So that's self-improvement as a dad. Some of you have benefited from counselors. Some of you have benefited from um, health classes, um, dietitians, all kinds of different ways that we have found help. And they are good things. The good ones are good. But one of the things I want us to think about this morning, across our country, change and improvement is a huge category for most Americans. It's obviously a very big marketing tool come December and January for New Year's resolutions. But for a Christian, someone who knows Jesus, it should be an even bigger category. We are saying we have put our faith in the living God who died and rose again. And he does want us to be different. He does want us to change. And here's the good thing that I want us to think about. He actually gives us the power to change. He gives us the risen Christ's life that infuses inside of us when we become Christians. And so we don't have to live a Christian life of drudgery and just slow, painful grind until we meet Jesus. That is not what God has for you and I if you trust in Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through a Spirit who dwells in you. You. Our union with Christ is so tight and powerful that the risen Christ, that life-giving power, is inside of you. It is there. Now some of us believe that as Christians and some of you doubt that. But it is throughout the New Testament that we have been made spiritually alive. You didn't just turn over a new leaf in your life when you came to Christ. You had a spiritual awakening of the the biggest proportion you could ever imagine. Paul said in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when you were dead spiritually in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. In other words, before Christ, you were spiritually flatlined. You picture a hospital monitor. It was solid and flat. And then God's Spirit came inside of you. And with that came life and energy and power from the risen Christ to know God, to be able to actually obey His law, His commandments, and not give in to our sinful desires and impulses. You have really been made alive. You have life in you. 
And the, the reason I keep saying the same thing over and over again, because I think far too many of us, we don't believe that reality. We might not feel that reality, but it is a true reality for any Christian. Somebody throw out your favorite sports car of all time. Fast, cool looking, what is it? Give it to me. Say it loud. Viper, thank you, Viper. So, I know we got a lot of new drivers in here, or almost new drivers. You have your permits, you're learning to drive. And I want you to imagine, and maybe you don't even know much about cars, but hopefully you'll know a little bit more before you get your license. And let's say whoever yelled out Viper is going to buy a Viper and give it to you. And we're talking about sports car. And you have just, this fake person has all kinds of money too. So you have just learned to, to drive a manual car. So you, you, had a, you drove my little Chevy Cavalier, automatic, not impressive, but it was safe. Now he gives you the Viper. And you don't really understand how to drive a stick shift. And so you actually don't even understand that there are gears. So you're, you're, just bear with me for a moment. We won't destroy the, the, the Viper. But you're in first gear, and somehow you learn to like, do the clutch so you can get in first gear. But you just stay there. You're just really comfortable with first gear. Like, I'm in a really cool car. But I'm just going to stay in first gear. And probably in a Viper, first gear is probably faster than my Chevy Cavalier. But it's, it's still first gear. But then someone teaches you what you're actually driving. This is a Viper. And let's say there's no speed limit laws for a moment. And there's no safety issues. And you learn what that car can actually do and how fast that car can actually go. Well, what changed? The car never changed. The Viper had the same engine in it when you were in first gear and not, not shifting to second, third, fourth, fifth, probably Viper six. I don't know. Um, no, what changed was your awareness of what the car was. What I'm praying changes this morning for those of you who are Christians is the awareness of what it means that the risen Christ is actually alive in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. And with that comes power. With that comes strength. With that should come boldness and energy to run hard after Jesus Christ. Bob read this verse this morning. Isaac, I'm just going to read 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When God's Spirit came inside of you, when you trusted in Christ, you were made new. Now some of you might say, well, I don't feel new. I think we get in trouble there. But if you are a believer in Jesus, you are brand new. I remember my first spring as a Christian. And I experienced this newness of life. I remember hearing birds sing for, seemed like the first time. Wow, they sound different. There's a creator who made these animals. And he's watching over them and he's caring for them. The flowers, they smelled better. Food tasted better. Not only was it just 
fuel for the body, but there was taste buds that the Creator thought we should have so we can enjoy a steak or pizza or, in my case, shrimp and all kinds of seafood. But not only that, I found and discovered there was actually power to not go back to my old sinful ways. I didn't have to do the things that before I was so trapped into doing. There was actually new life and new power. And see, that same new life and new power that I experienced is inside of all of you who are Christians. You do not have to obey your old desires. You're no longer slaves at all. Isaac, I'm going to skip Romans 16, or Romans 6. I was um, listening to a song this morning by a Christian band called Hulk Nelson, and probably many of you know it. It's the, the title is Live Like You're Loved. And, and I hear this song on the radio a lot. And there's one line in the song I love, and it resonates with me every time I hear it, whether I'm kind of having a, a down day, discouraged day, thinking about things or, you know, whatever pressures are on me. And this line gets me every time. The line goes, so go ahead and live like you're loved. Now, here's the line. It's okay to act like you've been set free. It is okay, Christian, to act like you've been set free. See, once you were a slave, and now you're no longer a slave. So it's okay to act like that. It's okay to experience the joy of that. It's okay to turn from things, because there is power. What a cool verse. It's okay to act like you have been set free. Because Christ came to set you free. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. To repeat A.W. Tozer. To the early Christian, Easter was not a holiday. It wasn't even a holy day. It wasn't even a day at all. To the early Christians, instead, it was an accomplished fact that lived with them all year long. They did not celebrate His rising from the dead and then go back to their everyday lives and wait another year. They lived by the fact that Christ had risen from the dead, and they had risen with him. I want to close by reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray and the orchestra and band can come up. Father, thank you that you sent your son Jesus to rescue us. And Jesus, thank you that you conquered sin and death Holy Spirit, thank You that we are alive and well and we pray as we sing this final song we would believe it 
we would experience this new life that Jesus, you purchased for us. And Lord, we pray we would thrive as Christians. Lord, we would live as those who have been once for all set free. And we give you all the praise and glory and ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's-